Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Deeper Life. I'm so thankful for your time today and I am so excited about today's guest, Ashley Bowden. We have been internet friends for, I, I mean, maybe five years? Maybe even like, more than that. Maybe more. <laughs> yeah. And I just find so much inspiration from you. Um, and I would love to dig into I know a lot about you now and like the direction that your life is headed and with your business and your self-sabotage coach. I'm curious what led you into this work. Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> yeah. Well, I have been doing online business for a long time. And I think anyone, anyone who's really creative or anything anyone who kind of resonates with that realizes like sometimes you change your mind a lot mm-hmm. <laughs> and you just, you're just trying a lot of different things. And that was definitely, has definitely been my story over even before business ever since I was a teenager. And I think it's interesting when you are someone who has tried a lot of different things, but yet you can look back and you can still see the, these threads that have stayed. Interesting. And almost like, you can see the story unraveling of of figuring it out and of finding your voice in the midst of it mm-hmm. and how personal growth can kind of, can kind of come alongside of that and really help you start to form the work that you feel really called to do. And that's definitely been my story with self-sabotage uh, and how I was able to sort of land in that, I think it was through my own process of healing my own self-sabotage really and really continuing to stay on that journey of recovery. And uh, if you, you know, lean a little bit deeper into my story, there's a big story around addiction recovery, uh, which can be a little bit more of an intensified form of self-sabotage. And normally I I say like when there's an intensified form of self-sabotage, that just means there's, a deeper presence of vulnerability that Mm. is really being fought for hard within us. And so it's not necessarily like you're more broken or you're more bad, but it's just more, there's more vulnerability here and you're finding really hard to keep yourself safe. And so I think through those two lanes of like discovering who I am and exploring and expressing creatively, and then also really leaning into some of those, harder spaces of personal growth and vulnerability and uh, and really facing and releasing some of what I've experienced has kind of landed me here. That's beautiful, friend. Thank you for sharing that. And as we dig into like kind of making your dreams happen, right? You're exploring your creativity. You might be launching a business or you might be in a career path that's really motivating to you. Do you find it interesting when we go after those things that that it almost requires us to go inward and go deeper? Mm-hmm. Like the t- talk to me about the relationship between those two things. Yeah. You know, when I first started my business before I even was like really diving into the personal growth stuff, I used to always say like I used to say like oh like if you want to run a business it's like personal growth on steroids. Uh, it's like everything that you thought you dealt with, everything that you thought wasn't an issue for you suddenly just 
just like leaps to the surface and it's standing right in front of you. And whether it's like, you know, you're going to do something like price your your work or you need to put yourself out there more or you're going after a bigger opportunity. Uh, all of a sudden, it's almost just like I imagine like it's like this firework inside of us leaping out like, hi, like I'm here and I'm hurting or I'm scared mm-hmm. or what are you doing? Are you what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the merging, I think, yeah, those two things really lends itself to one uh, opportunity and capacity to really grow and to heal and to receive uh, and surrender. But then it can also mm-hmm. be overwhelming it can actually be prime ground for something like self-sabotage because there's a lot of vulnerability there for sure two words that you just said that really resonated are capacity and surrender yeah and let's talk about capacity right as we're as we're digging into whatever our goals are whatever our growth is and going deeper right everyone's capacity to hold those things are differently. Yeah. And, and and also what we've been mapped, right? Our brain mapping of what was modeled to us from our parent figure mm-hmm. or from society or from our culture or subculture. There's a lot of elements that honestly kind of come into our own personal capacity to hold things. Yeah. What does that look like for you and in some of the clients you've worked with in developing capacity? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think capacity, like you can look at capacity in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could look at it, you could look at it from an energy perspective, you could look at it from um, even like how much stress, you know, you have capacity for before you start to go into like a stress response, like fight, fight, freeze, or fawn. Um, and I, I think it's been an important question for me that I've actually only learned over maybe the last year of like really acknowledging and really looking at what is my capacity here, what's my mm-hmm. capacity in the season that I'm in. Uh, and I had actually shared a, a reel about this because it really blew my mind where I was like, I often would only look at my capacity in terms of my calendar, in terms of my schedule. You know, like if I was thinking, for example, let's say I was thinking of like, I want to launch, um, a, I don't know, a class or something or a, a hashtag campaign. I would say like, do you, what's my capacity in my schedule? And almost always I was like, yeah, it's fine. Like, uh, <laughs> I'll make it work. Uh, but I would never sit with and ask like, what is my emotional capacity? Hmm. Like, what is my capacity to actually hold space to do a campaign? All of these things take emotional capacity. But I would often not sit with that and ask myself those questions. And what would happen is that, yeah, sure, I had the room in my calendar or sure, I could force and make it work. But then I would, you know, either get into a place of feeling burnt out. I would feel overrun. I would feel um, almost like, I don't know, almost like someone else was doing this to me because I wasn't checking in with myself. That's good. Yeah. I feel that. Yeah. It's almost like um, we become resentful of the thing that we chose to do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Why do we do that? 
<laughs> I feel that though. And I love what you said about like the different capacities in different areas, mm-hmm. right? Um, we have relationship, like re- relational capacity. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's so many things that we have capacity for and it kind of comes back to that awareness. Yeah. Now, when we're butting up against our capacity, we're kind of, we're teetering into um, that line of, like you said, those stress responses. Yeah. Do you feel like that's where surrender comes in or mm-hmm. where does surrender mm-hmm. arrive inside of our journey? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. Thank you. Yeah. Bravo. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think that... I would see surrender as an ongoing invitation. Okay. Yes. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) That's it. Yeah. Uh, Because one of the things I talk about a lot with capacity, specifically around capacity to be seen, which is a whole other thing, but capacity in terms of that is like, a lot of times what happens is our capacities can shrink because of things that we've been through. Okay. Uh, so, for example, with capacity to be seen, like if we had early childhood experiences where it wasn't safe to be seen, our capacity for being seen is really going to shrink. Mm. But what I always like to say to myself is if our capacities can shrink, they can also expand. Mm-hmm. And so what can we do or what would it look like to help our capacity expand in whatever way you're looking at that? If that's something you want to do. So there's some capacities that maybe maybe are just like, they just are. So for example, like, um, maybe you're like super introverted. You don't necessarily want to expand how much time you're spending with people. Right. Um, but then those other capacities that are really having an impact, let's say on your life, on your work, on your success, things like being seen, things around maybe self-sabotage, things around... Um, you know, even just some of that emotional checking in, uh, things even like with stress. And so really sitting with those and saying like, what would it look like mm. to expand here? Uh, what would it take for me to, to do that? Uh, and then also like, what is that ongoing surrender that would be required or that would help? or would support in this, in the expansion of my capacity here. That's really powerful. Mm-hmm. And all, all of your language is very inner inward, right? It's yeah. like your capacity is something that you choose or, yeah. or you don't always choose it, right? Based on what happens to you yeah. or your experiences. Um, but that conversation of what, what it looked like to expand what happens when our external environment or external factors are really pushing or, mm. or pulling or maybe even forcing um, an expansion of capacity? Like I'll give you an example. Yeah. I had a job with a boss um, who was really pushing me in my capacity towards my growth in my role at that time. And this also is a part of my personality because I'm a very internally motivated person. And I I felt like resentful of his challenge of my capacity. Yeah. And so it's like I needed to feel empowered in that change towards expanding my capacity versus like someone's forcing me. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm just curious, how does that play a role in like 
you know, when we bump up against our capacity, we feel it. But what up when someone else is like pushing against our capacity? Yeah. Yeah. I think the question that really comes to mind is what is my choice here? Mm. And just because someone, it's my belief that just because someone challenges you to something doesn't mean it's your choice. And so okay. what, what would it look like to explore what your choice is here? Do you want to grow? Do you mm. want to expand? And I'm a, a really big advocate for consent. Absolutely. And, you know, specifically as a coach and, you know, I think that there, there can be this lane of, of leadership and coaching and personal growth um, that uses a little bit of, it uses honestly force. Um, mm. You know, even language like, um, even some of this more like, I don't know, like violent ish or harsh language around like, um, like make your dream, like making your dreams happen or crushing goals or you're killing it. Yeah. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. <what>? <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and then it can even like, if you look at some, you know, even some like coaching around, like it has to be done this way. <clears throat> It's not really giving space for like your consent in this. Is this the way you want to go? Do you want to grow in this way? And really starting to revisit some of some of those questions internally, uh, I think is really an important aspect of if you're feeling um, like that expansion is happening externally, but maybe it's not matching what's happening internally. Really looking at what your choice is in this, what mm-hmm. your sense of self-agency is in this and whether you're even on board and really, really not like putting morality into that. Like that's good or that's bad that I'm not, or I am on board and just, just really practicing that, that space of self-trust of like, I am feeling this call to you expand right now or I'm not. And knowing that that's okay. Mm. Holding space for self-trust. I love what you brought up about morality, good versus bad. Mm-hmm. Do you think self-trust holds a neutral energy then? Yeah, I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I was just curious just for my own, like my own growth. I've yeah. really been looking at how do I hold neutral space for all of my emotions and all yeah. of my thoughts Yeah. instead of like, I've noticed that when I categorize a thought or an emotion as bad, then there's a, there's a whole other layer of shame or judgment, self-judgment that gets yeah. rolled up into those bad things. Yeah. Um, and so just learning how do I create neutral space for me to learn from my emotions or learn from my thoughts yeah. instead of trying to like put them in boxes, essentially. Yeah. It's wild to you. Like if, if you really pay attention to how much morality is put into so many neutral things, like even mm-hmm. if you, I feel like a great example that most people will relate to is like food. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of morality gets turned into food. That's that's good food. That's bad food. Dirty food. Clean food. <laughs> um, it, but food doesn't have morality. Interesting. So just interesting to pay attention to. Yeah. I no. I agree. Um, I have noticed like, oh, that's bad for me. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes that makes me want it more. Yeah. Knowing that it's bad for me, yeah. Versus, like, does that food choice align with, you know, what I want to eat? Mm. Um, not is it good? Is it bad? Uh, I find myself. Yeah, that language is so interesting. It is. It's powerful. Yeah. Even the language of like, I mean, I this hasn't been in my story, but for other people, like, he's so bad for me. Mm. He's so good for me. 
I I really like the like shifting the good bad language to the language of support. Is this supportive for me? Is this not supportive for me? That's good. Mm-hmm. I love that. I'm gonna I'm gonna adopt that. Yeah, adopt that. <laughs> I'm gonna adopt that. <laughs> um, so self sabotage. Yeah. There. How many? You had kind of created these self-sabotage types, mm-hmm. right? Are there four of them? No, there's eight. <laughs> there's eight. Wow. Okay. There's eight of them. I'm only th- <laughs> you're thinking four because of my series. Yes, I am. I, I still have to do the other half. Okay. So I'd love <laughs> for you to share um, the eight types of self-sabotage. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to just kind of dig into to what those are. Yeah. So... The whole premise of self-sabotage for me is that self-sabotage is a way to keep ourselves safe mm-hmm. and that our self-sabotage is formed usually out of trauma, mm-hmm. of a time where we had to be safe. We had to find a way to get safe. Normally, people form their patterns of self-sabotage really early on in life. We don't often jump types that often. Um, we might move between different types, but like we don't normally like, we don't struggle with like perfectionism. And then all of a sudden, 10 years later, but something completely different. Normally it like kind of stays. Um, be, and that's just because of that. It's just because of how it, it develops within us. And there are eight types and these are not necessarily like completely like comprehensive. There could be other types beyond these, but these are the ones that, I have found to be the most common and I'll share each of the types and how it keeps us safe. Okay. Or what the, what the belief is of that type. So we'll start with the, the P's. I call them. <laughs> They're the most popular. People pleaser. Uh, this is, this type believes I'm safest when other people are happy. Mm-hmm. So they likely experienced times where it was not safe when someone else was unhappy likely at home or in school okay uh the procrastinator is i feel safest when things are in chaos i need that sense of adrenaline and intensity in order for me to feel safe so they'll create lots of procrastination moments um the perfecter this one's pretty pretty uh it's the word, uh, pretty uh, common sense, I guess. Uh, they feel safest when things are perfect. Uh, and, okay. on, on, you know, usually it's like they may have had one of two extremes growing up, either that things were in complete chaos, so that perfectionism gives them a sense of control, mm-hmm. or that they had a parent that expected and demanded perfection um, in order for them to receive acceptance or belonging. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we have the overthinker. This type believes, like, I'm safest when you tell me what to do. I don't want to have to think about it myself. Um, I don't trust myself at all. And so, you know, I can see, I see this come up a lot with business owners. Like, just tell me what to do next. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, this is like, you know, they likely grew up in home where they didn't have that sense of agency, that sense of independence. They may be pretty enmeshed with their family even still. Um, and then we have the overworker. So I feel safest when I'm busy. I'm scared of stillness. I'm scared of what I'll find. 
Also, sometimes it's like if I stay still, um, there's more of a threat. Kind of that feeling of like, if you look at like it even from a primal perspective of like mm. um, animals that like are constantly moving, like because if they're still, then they might be attacked. Uh, it's that kind of, it's that kind of primal feeling. Yeah. Uh, then we have the guardian. So I feel safest when people are to, are at a distance. Um, that one is going to primarily show the relationships. Uh, like I don't want anyone to get too close to me, etc. And then we have this. It's always like me. Like, what are they? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, and then we have oh the shamer. This one is like I feel safest when I feel bad. So a fear of success, usually, if something good's happening, uh, that can be really triggering. Mm. Um, To feel good, to feel happy, to receive success, that can feel really vulnerable. And so you might have had a parent who competed with you. You might have had things taken from you. And on an extreme level, you might have experienced things like grooming uh, Mm. with abuse. Um. Was that? Oh, no, the last one. The assumer. This is actually the t- the most popular result in my quiz, which you, there is a quiz on my website that you can take. Uh, and this one is I feel safest when things are familiar. And so you can usually tell that it's present for someone in the way that they talk. So they'll say things like, I'll never, I'll, I'm not going to apply for that job. I'd never get it anyway. Okay. Or I'm not going to date. No one would ever want to go out with me anyway. Um, They're making these assumptions about how things will go because it's actually unfamiliar and that feels incredibly unsafe to them. Wow. I am so thankful that you walked through all of those and I had never made such a clear connection between self-sabotage and safety before. And the way that you outlined those makes so much sense, friend. Um. Can I share? Yeah. <laughs> Can I share which ones resonated? I could tell a little bit by your face, but <laughs> I'm a very facially expressive person, so it's pretty difficult to hide anything. I love it. Um, I would say the procrastinator hit, mm-hmm. like you saying that you come from a place of chaos at a young age. That very much emotional chaos that very much feels very true to me. Yeah. And then the guardian actually really hit in a way I didn't expect it to. Mm. Um, and I think that's why I'm drawn towards vulnerability is because I'm scared of it. Mm. And so it's like as a Enneagram eight, the challenger, there's this interesting dance I do between wanting to be in control, but also wanting so deeply to feel connected to people. Yeah. And so, but it's, it's hard when I keep people at a distance to feel connected. Yeah. So it requires this element of vulnerability. Um, I'm curious for you, which one of those types do you feel the most connection to? Yeah. I mean, I definitely feel the shamer would be probably my top one. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I find like for people who struggle with addiction, the shamer is probably present mm. because there's a little bit of like, 
I don't deserve good things. And I don't even feel safe when I have them. So when something is going really well in business or life for you, mm-hmm. what does that look like? Does that look like you like c- kind of connecting, I guess, back to being seen yeah. too? Mm-hmm. What is that relationship? Yeah. So, well, actually in my, early re- my earlier recovery days, I remember someone telling me like, this wasn't a general statement. It was specific to me. So don't take it as general statement. Okay. Um, they said you're most at risk for relapse when something like when you feel good, when you feel bad, like when things are, when you're struggling, when you don't know how you're going to pay rent or, you know, those types of things, you're fine. But when you, um, like when something went really well or you're really loved by people or whatever, that's when you're most risk at, re- at relapse, and it's because of that of like it doesn't feel safe here to be held, to be cared for, to be successful. And, and then adding in what you said, to be held, to be cared for, to be successful, that all carries with it a higher level of being seen. Mm -hmm. Um, And kind of how being seen to, to relate it back to self-sabotage in general is I have noticed in the work and work with my clients and in my own story that so often people who struggle with self-sabotage actually have a really intense fear of being seen. And it makes sense because if you're using self-sabotage, you're protecting yourself from something. And what is the most vulnerable thing in the world to be seen by others, either intimately or at a distance I do feel like that often there are two pathways so that it's like either someone is really afraid to be seen in intimacy really afraid to be seen up close really to be even really afraid to be seen off the internet Mm. and then you have people who are more afraid to be seen in these big opportunities uh, Mm. where they're going to put themselves out more where they're going to have to like I don't know pitch or like get on stage or that kind of thing normally they flip so like if you're someone who's afraid to be seen in intimacy in order to get your to somewhat meet your need for being seen you'll hyper focus on those big opportunities being on stage um sharing your voice a lot pitching and that was definitely me that was a thousand percent me uh or it'll go the other way and if you have a lot of fear around being seen in those big moments You'll hyper-focus on being seen in intimacy. You'll often, you might be someone who has more patterns around being clingy or needing lots of affirmation or even going into like um, things like codependency or people-pleasing to an extreme or not mm-hmm. even focusing on yourself but just seeing people to such an extreme that uh, that helps you in this little way feel seen in and of yourself and noticing that I feel like once you see it, you can unsee it. That's good. I, I relate to the latter, I think of being scared of those big, those big opportunities Mm -hmm. that I, um, for me, what comes to mind is shifting to those more intimate relationships and trying to find success there Mm -hmm. and almost avoiding the success or the impact I could have on a larger scale. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, well, if I, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm successful relationally or, 
you know, I feel really secure in these intimate relationships. And so I, I'm going to completely avoid what it would look like to use my voice in a larger way. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of just one-to-one, not one-to-many. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And you said something interesting of like being seen outside of the internet. Yeah. And I'm curious, like, you know, you're such a beautiful writer. You share a lot of your life and your story online. And um, I also know that's how people are able to find you and hire you as a coach, mm-hmm. which I know like you're an incredible coach. Um, how is that relationship of like the self-sabotaging, how does that manifest on the internet essentially? Yeah. that could, I feel like that could be a series. It really could. <laughs> It really could. <laughs> because I think all the types are going to self-sabotage different. Obviously, they're all going to self-sabotage differently when it comes to the internet. So I'm going to give you a few examples. The people pleaser. So I'm going to specifically give some references to just like having a really active social media presence, Great. whether you use that for business or not. But with people pleasing, what can often happen is like you will you become hyper vigilant about how people are responding to your content. Um, how many likes you're getting, how many comments you're getting, what, even what other people are posting. It can also be a real fear of like saying the wrong thing, which is a, is a valid fear in our culture. It is. Um, procrastinator, like you're either not, you're just going to continually procrastinate on saying anything online. Um, you're consistently waiting for that moment of intensity Mm-hmm. Um, you might wait until like, you know, there's like some of these moments where it's like everyone's talking about it because it can, it can sort of mirror that sense of like intensity, like you better, you better talk now, you better speak up now. Mm-hmm. Um, that can be, that can be a big one there. I think the, the shamer could be like, I'm only going to talk about what's hard. Like I'm only going to talk about what I'm struggling with, really prone to more vulnerability focus pieces um, versus being like, I don't know, like, I don't know, even things like it's my birthday or <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this amazing thing happened today. Uh, and that makes sense, right? Because it's like, it's safe for me to struggle. It's not safe for me to uh, be good, to be okay. Mm. Uh, and then I would say maybe like another one, like the guardian, I would say could probably show up as like three. It's not as common anymore, but you know, earlier in social media days, there seemed to be this rhetoric of like, don't actually like build relationships with people. It's Mm. this weird thing of like, let them comment, but be as inaccessible as possible. Because Mm -hmm. if you're as inaccessible as possible, then they'll want more of you. Um, that is like the guardians like, yeah, let, yeah, I'm on board. <laughs> that sounds like a great idea. And so like they probably, they might not actually interact with people, you know, they might not mm-hmm. respond to stories and, or respond to comments and DMs and that kind of stuff. Um, or the, it might go in, you know, sort of that, the other swing of things and that like feels comfortable for them because these people don't actually know them. Uh, okay ashley (laughs) yeah that that hits uh that hits i have found 
through therapy and like working a lot on myself this past year is it's easier for me to actually be vulnerable online and show up exactly, exactly as who I am and use my voice that's so aligned with my values there in that yeah. space. It's really difficult for me to do that in person. Yeah. Um, it's it's harder. It's more challenging. It's sure. it feels like scary and vulnerable because it's, you know, you're looking at someone, right? Mm-hmm. They, they can reach over and touch your arm. Mm-hmm. Like it, the vulnerability that I share online feels safe, actually. Yeah. Um, and I'll have people in my real life who will know less about me mm-hmm. than people that follow me on the internet. Yeah. Um, wow. Wow. Yeah. That's very interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna let that sit for a little bit. <laughs> I'm gonna marinate on that. Yeah, marinate on that. <laughs> I will. Um so I'm curious, like how obviously awareness plays a really big role here, mm-hmm. right? Once we are aware, how do we like acknowledge these these self-sabotaging tendencies? And then do we learn how to cope with them? Do we learn how to um shift into action. I'm curious, once we are aware and we really see these patterns of behavior and patterns of self-sabotage, what do we do next? Yeah. So it's a bit of a multi-pronged approach, I would say. Love a good (laughs) multi-prong. Love it. Love it. (laughs) Give me choices. Uh, Because part of it, I think, is just, first of all, just starting to shift your mindset that when you see self-sabotage present, that is that is an indicator, that's a cue, that there is something happening in you internally where you are either overwhelmed, you're afraid, or you're feeling vulnerable about something. I really operate in the approach of self-sabotage around like that there are multiple parts of us happening and we're, we can be on different sort of different mission. So the very simplistic way I I will talk about that is, is like, you know, you as your adult self, you're like, I'm going to start to eat healthy. It's like I've been watching your stories or something. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then and, um, your inner child though, not saying this in your case, but an inner child who had maybe an early life experience of deprivation of things being taken from them, even, even things like deprivation um, from comfort and support could be mirrored in food. And so when you say, Oh, we're going to eat healthy food, like your inner child could be going deprivation and we'll start to panic. And so this protective part of you, known as self-sabotage, is going to step in and protect the inner child and say, I'll fix this. And that is truly the way that I look at it, that our self-sabotage is what I call an inner child rescue mission of the protective parts of us, the self-sabotaging parts of us will always be completely dedicated to saving and protecting and rescuing the inner child. Wow. And so when you, one, just looking at it from that context, just it just helps you to know, like, 
even just on an inner child thing, like my inner child is not okay right now. My inner child is not okay with some of these decisions I'm making. And so how can I step in and maybe do some work and, and bring some assurance or some validation or, or allow them to be a part of the process even with me? Um, so that's kind of like an in-the-moment approach. I really am a fan and an advocate for inner child work long-term. Mm-hmm. Um and realizing that normally if self-sabotage is present, that the inner child is probably stuck in the past, um, stuck in some of these survival situations. And so doing inner child work to reclaim and to bring your inner child back into the present. Um, because even though, like, if we look at that example with the food, your inner child is responding like it's she's still home. She's still home with the parents and she's scared. Um, when you're just like, I just want to eat some more vegetables and it can kind of almost feel dramatic or exaggerated. And that's how you know that your inner child is stuck in the past. Oh, wow. So that second one, <laughs> then the third one, um, is if, because what sort of happens to you with the inner child work is like, it relieves the need for self-sabotage because it relieves the need for a protector. When you are doing the work of really working with your inner child and parenting them and leading them and nurturing and caring for them, your inner child doesn't need a protector in the same way because you're stepping in. But a lot of people live disconnected from their internal world and from their inner child. And they just Mm -hmm. think, oh, that was like a million years ago. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Um, and so I love that one because then you're not, we're not even, who cares how the self-sabotage shows that? What I care about is what's happening inside that's making this need to happen. That's making something inside of you saying, I don't feel safe right now and I need to feel safe no matter what it takes. That's the bigger concern to me. Um, and then the other thing you can do is if it is a need for safety, if you look at self-sabotage as a need for safety, where in your li- are there areas in your life you don't feel safe for you? Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's like literally something like, like you always, your fridge is always empty. Or like you never pay your bills on time. Mm-hmm. Or you, you don't have safe friendships. You don't have people that you can really trust, people that you can really count on. Um, there's something happening medically in your body that makes your body feel unsafe. Those can all be things that we could look at and bring support to to help infuse a greater sense of safety. And again, that too will help to relieve some of the self-sabotage. I believe that self-sabotage can be healed. It doesn't just need to be coped with. That's so powerful, especially with the bringing in support on that last part of when we have that awareness and we know we have clarity essentially of where's this originating and how can I bring in support to support myself, to give myself validation, whether that's internally, medically, or, you know, with close friendships, there's an element of self-agency or self-advocacy that plays a really critical role, um, in, in this development. I'm curious, you know, how does that come up for you in your work? Because mm-hmm. I could be noticing my self-sabotage. I could do my inner child work. I could see where it's coming from. Yeah. 
is there a step though where I have to use my voice for myself? Mm-hmm. And and where does that come in? Yeah. So I think at the very beginning it comes from like you you choosing that you want something different or that you want mm-hmm. different support. So I always say that like self-sabotage, like you don't have to change it if you don't want to. Like there has to become a point where you want to change it or you want to choose something different. Um because there is some self-sabotage. I, this is what I feel. Some self-sabotage is culturally acceptable. Some is not. And so sometimes what happens is if you have it show up in more of a culturally unacceptable way, like, um, so for example, overworking, that's culturally accepted. No one's going to mm-hmm. come up to you and say, like, you work too much and, like, you need to get your, you need to change your life. That's, you that need is, to work on your inner child. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. S-O-S. <laughs> exactly. But if you have, like, uh, an addiction, let's say, or, like, you withdraw a lot or you, like, get in these circles where, like, you work on something but then you quit, you never, like, give it a go. You're going to get a lot more, like, people will be like, or you jump from relationship to relationship. You're going to get a lot more people will be like, uh, you have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh and so sometimes what can happen is that people are just coming at you saying you have a problem like you need to change this which I do find a lot of people will come to me and they'll say that like my friends keep telling me or my family keeps telling me I need help um you need to find your yes in it first you need to find your yes in it love that that's the beginning and I think of the self-agency for sure yeah it it has to come from within you and there's only so much external motivation or external support mm-hmm. um but if you don't believe it and if you don't want it then yeah. it, it's hard to put in that that effort because i think there's another kind of going back to capacity this work takes energy mm-hmm. um it takes focus it takes intentionality and i don't want to paint this picture that it's um hard because mm-hmm. sometimes when it, when someone says, oh, it's really hard and challenging, someone might go, well, is it worth it then? Yeah. Um, you know, right? Because it's like, oh, do I have capacity to hold that? Um, do you think, what role does capacity play in healing the inner child? Yeah. 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 I think that that does become a big question. Like, do you have the capacity to dive into some of this stuff? That's why I always like to give like some more like some really deep internal approaches, but there are more surface level-ish ways, like maybe focusing on are there like different things, different ways you can help yourself feel safe right now, or can you just maybe implement some more self-validation or self-compassion? Because maybe you don't have the capacity to dive deep right now. And I think honoring that is awesome and and knowing that is good, you know? Another question, too, that popped up for me as we're talking is, like, what do I think I will get by healing my self-sabotage? I'm paying attention to that answer because by looking at that answer, like, what will this give you? That I think that can help you as well, like, outline where is your agency in this? Um, so for example, if you ask yourself that question and you're like, I don't know, you could be like, these people will finally get off my back (laughs) or I'll be more acceptable or I'll be more loved. 
it can be hard to love the parts of us that protect us. Uh, and I, we got to watch that line, I think, always in healing work of fixing. And by your answer, you'll be able to tell, is this about fixing or is this about, I guess I'd surrendering. Mm. And healing, one of my favorite phrases is healing as we go, mm-hmm. because I think healing is such a progression. It's such an evolution. And and what I needed to heal from at 22 is different than what I'm yeah. healing from now at 28. And it's just this interesting um, relationship that we have with healing when we want to access it. Yeah. Um, but it, yeah, you're right about the capacity and the, and the purpose and intention behind that healing. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. I, there are moments in my life where I wanted to heal things so that I could go get an apology from someone. For sure. Like I've, you know, I've done my work. What about you? Yeah. Um, and, and that, that was, that was out of, um, desire for the relationship to get better, mm-hmm. but also a desire to have control. Right. right? And, and, and honestly, a little bit of ego yeah. of like, well, I did it and you haven't. So, yeah. which is, is it gets back to that heart intention and that soul intention of like, why are we doing this healing work? Mm. Um, what, well, go ahead. Oh, yeah. I was also just going to say to like notice um, or even reminding yourself that like healing is always available. That like you can go at, you can go so slow in it. You can go so fast in it that the choice gets to be up to you and that it's always available like that. It's not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. And yeah, paying attention to, you know, the ways sometimes that 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 hustle way of being or that uh, vision of productivity can get into even our healing work. But I think that the, that phrase like healing is always available. Mm-hmm. It's not running out. It's not saying hurry up. It's not saying get your stuff together. It's always available for us. Almost like this image of like, I don't know. It's almost, I almost see it like it's like this perfect parent. Always available, ready to embrace you when you're ready, but not pushing you too hard before you are. Wow. Always an invitation, but never an expectation. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's good. Yeah. Oh, friend, what a beautiful discussion. I... I'm like, I need to hire you. <laughs> we, need, we, need, we need to work on my, my procrastination and my guardian self-sabotage, um, which is just interesting because like the thing I think is, is so perfect and beautiful and necessary about this conversation is that we are both um, successful in our own ways and have built brands and businesses and, and there are people that look to us for guidance and look to us for expertise and wisdom and coaching. But here we are, two, Mm -hmm. you know, imperfect people coming together about a discussion of things that we're still working on and Mm -hmm. just normalizing that. And I know that um, a couple of years ago, you did a challenge, right, about just showing like the imperfect sides of life. And uh, if you don't follow Ashley on social media, you absolutely need to. It's like a necessity. <laughs> I'll link her in, in the show notes. But um, 
I feel like for a very long time, you're from what I've seen is like this this draw towards normalization. Yeah. Let's just normalize this, and mm-hmm. this is a part of the process. This imperfection. Um, w- over the years, what has that normalization and just embracing who you are mm-hmm. and how you show up and in that journey that you're on in your own work? Mm-hmm. How has that changed over yeah. the last five years, even? Yeah. Well, when I was doing the work around, like really highlighting the imperfect side of, you know, being an entrepreneur, being human. Some of that for me, I think came out of this, this feeling of like, I'm so imperfect. It came out of this place of like, I'm so hyper aware of my own imperfection. And I need to know I'm not alone. And I knew that it, I knew to a degree, you know, with all, I think in all ways, if we feel a way, there's someone else who feels the same way. And it kind of became like a way like of bringing, gathering people who also felt that way and, and wanted to find community in the midst of our imperfection, realizing that, um, it could it could bring us together. It could help us create relationships that we didn't need to be perfect to belong. Mm. And I use that all through my work. Um, that became I would I feel like even so that's the foundation of my work. And anyone who knows me knows that like you could literally tell me anything, <laughs> and I would be like I love you so much. Mm. Um, that nothing is sort of like. Nothing, there's no conditions, you know, on on love. There's no conditions on acceptance and belonging. And I believe that that is the, that's how it's supposed to be. Wow. And so it also helped me to come more into a place of acceptance and look at my own conditions for myself. But then also realizing, too, that, like, um that there's life beyond just looking at imperfection. Right. That we can get stuck in like, you can hear, yeah, I've heard people say this, like, oh, I'm just so imperfect. Like, yeah, probably, but. <laughs> right. Is that a helpful cycle to, to like be in yeah. all the time? I mean, sure, we all are. Right. But just saying that help you feel like you don't have to change. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so good. It's almost like a cop out. Like I am so imperfect and I have, you know, all these issues or struggles or mindset blocks or barriers. So why try? Yeah. You You can see now that I've gone over the types, you can actually see the assumer there. Another yeah. thing that can happen, I've noticed, is that people will integrate their self-sabotage and declare it part of their personality. And it's a way to be like, I'm really uncomfortable with the fact that this is happening. So if I just internalize it and accept it as part of my personality, then I don't have to change. Um, it can come up in really small ways like, oh, I'm just always late. Like, that's just who I am. Or like, okay. oh, it comes up so much with procrastinators. <laughs> Oh, I, this is just who I am. Like, I just do things at the last minute. I need that intensity. 
If I don't have that intensity, I don't do things. It's just the way that I am. Is it though? <laughs> is it? <laughs> is I it? Is it? It's a great question. Like, oh, is that who you are? And it's it. Uh, what I'm hearing, similar to what people do with the Enneagram, is it becomes a part of yeah. their identity. Yeah. It's like, the, you know, this is my identity. This is my person. This is who I am. Yeah. Instead of looking at those characteristics um, and those, uh, those, those behaviors, essentially, and asking, does this have to be who I am, though? Like, I mm-hmm. going back to that choice. Like yeah. I get to choose. I get to choose to be someone who shows up, you know, earlier on time. And um, I yeah. get to choose being someone who is proactive instead of reactive. Like I get to choose those things. Yeah. Um, that's that's really powerful. And kind of coming back to empowerment as a whole, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of wrapping up this beautiful conversation. And And what would you say – to encourage someone, you know, going over the types and going over the work, how do we encourage someone to say, this work is worth it for me and Mm -hmm. and I'm worth working on? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you have to ask yourself what you really want. And like, let's say, for example, you resonated with the personality thing of like integrating them kind of asking yourself like what's so scary about not having this and starting to I think ask some of yourself those hard questions um is an important part of the process but I will say this that often it's the things that there often there's things that we settle for that we don't have to settle for there's things that we settle for that other people are broken free from even just that thought, there's things we settle for that other people are broken free from. That tells me that there's an there's opportunity there. There's an ability there. It might look different. It might be a different way of doing it, etc. Uh, but what? Like, why does settling in this make sense for you? What about settling in this feels safe for you? And is what you want for your life possible? If you're still settling in this way. That's good. Yeah. Oh. Said with so much love. (laughs) Yeah, of course. And I mean every everything about you is and I love what you said about there's no conditions to belonging. Mm -hmm. Uh that's gonna stay with me forever. Mm -hmm. I I really felt that and um it's such a beautiful expression of my value system. Uh, but then you said, and how do we apply those conditions to ourselves of yeah. belonging? And I, I feel that as well. Yeah. Thank you so much for your heart and, and really the doors, the mental and physical doors that you open for, for your clients and for mm-hmm. people like me. And you really open up a lot of beautiful thoughts and, uh, in, in those, those subtle challenges of, you know, encouraging someone to use their choice and finding their yes in a situation. I think that is, you know, more of you is what the world needs. Mm. And I'm so thankful for you and our internet friendship that has now, you know, turned into this podcast episode. Yeah. Thank you, Alexis. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And I will um, connect everyone with you via social or via the show notes. Um, And you mentioned a uh, type 
mm-hmm. self-sabotage type quiz. Can you just say the link out loud? Yeah. Yeah. It's just at ashleybowden.com slash quiz. Okay. Well, that's very easy. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. The slash quiz. Um, I'll link that in the show notes as well. And mm-hmm. that way, if you're curious about your type or you think you might be stuck between two or three, like me, I'm going to go take this and, yeah, and see, I will, and see what comes up for me. But thank you, friend. And uh, just appreciate you so much.